0: Evidence and answers. One of the greatest challenges facing churches today is religious syncretism. Sociologist George Barna stated religious syncretism is the religion of our time. What is syncretism? And how is it practiced by many Christians today? How can we identify and correct religious syncretism? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, Pat and his guest, J.D. Crowley, began an interview on how the gospel of Jesus Christ is reaching into Cambodia. Now, on to part two
1: minority peoples all over the world are looked down upon and uh, really abused by the majority peoples of the Mm -hmm. world. In Cambodia, it's the the majority Khmer looking down on the tribal people in the Northeast. When we teach them that they have tremendous worth in the sight of God because God created them in God's image. The majority people call them monkeys in the jungle, and that Mm. is a great dishonor to God and to these human beings who are made in the image of God. And then the truth that every single human being has Adam and Eve's blood in them. Uh, We all come from a real Adam and Eve, and uh, this is the only way that humans all around the world, especially indigenous people who are looked down upon can have the sense of worth that they are made in God's image. They're the descendants of Adam and Eve. And then the bad news that because we're descendants of Adam and Eve, we also have a sin nature because they rebelled against God and so have we.
2: Yeah, so you have to have a right understanding of God, right understanding of human nature our relationship with creation and mankind's problem, you know, before you can get into
1: the gospel. It all starts in the first three chapters of, of Genesis. And I don't, I don't know, I really have a hard time sharing the gospel without starting somehow uh, with creation. Yeah, so tell us, people are, are sitting there thinking, oh, wow, this must be kind of a, a longer process than we thought then. It is a longer process. Uh, uh, most indigenous minorities uh, have a little bit more time than we do here. They're farmers and they can find, uh, find time to, to sit around and listen for two, really two or three days to uh, creation to Christ presentation. And so that's at the beginning, that's what we did. Uh, if somebody showed some interest in coming to know the creator God, whose name they already knew, right? But they didn't mm-hmm. know anything about him. I would go to their village and, and teach from creation to Christ over a period of about three or four days, about 25 lessons in all, going all the way from Adam and Eve and, uh, and God's promise to them that he was going to send somebody to reconcile them back to God and crush the head of, uh, of the enemy, Satan, which is the storyline of the Bible, right? That's the mm-hmm. plot of the Bible. All the way to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the promises that God gave to them that this Savior would come from their line. And then even all the way to King David, uh, after God created this nation of Israel, God said to David, "The Savior, the Messiah is going to come from you, and he 's going to reign forever and ever, and all the way to all the prophecies about Jesus that He would be born in Bethlehem that he would his hands and feet would be pierced, a prophecy that was given nine hundred years before they even had crucifixions, you know mm-hmm. so it does take time Pat and but it 's worth it because we either have to teach those things before they get saved or after they get saved. Mm -hmm. So if you have time, you might as well give them a (laughs) grounding first. Yeah, because a lot of people feel
2: matter is eternal. And back in those times or in animistic cultures today, the gods come out of the matter of the universe and the, the creation of The earth and life is the result of the gods battling each other and even to this day there are equal forces of good and evil in this constant battle with each other and maybe the christian god is slightly stronger than the forces of evil and so it's really important they have a really good understanding of the nature of god and and his relationship with creation you know he's not a part of creation he created out of nothing there are no other gods that rival him or forces. I mean, those are the kind of things they, they really need to understand in understanding the gospel
1: and our relationship with God, right? Absolutely, uh, like the Gnostic heresy that I'm sure you've taught on uh, often that says that material things are bad and spiritual things are good. And so what's God, what, what is God doing as a spiritual creature creating material things, right? It's terrible. Mm-hmm. And so we have this perfect balance that you just described that God is separate from his creation and always will be. Well, except for the incarnation, right? The son of God becoming man, but God is separate from his creation. Uh, and yet creation is still good because how many times did God say in Genesis one, Uh, he looked at what he had made and he said this is this is very good
2: yes you know and you state that syncretism is one of the great enemies of the missionary and you know we're seeing a lot of that now here in the West in fact I think a George Barna study not too long ago said syncretism is the religion of America today well so tell us
1: a little bit what is syncretism and how is it practiced in the church syncretism as you know, is the uh, mixing of two separate worldviews that really can't be mixed or ought not be mixed. And so the syncretism is often the result of what we just described earlier, uh, starting the gospel story at the, in the middle of the story, rather than at the beginning. Uh, we preach the gospel, uh, which is the most important part of the Christian worldview, right? So if you think of the Christian worldview as a, an amalgamation of many, many different truths, but at, but at the very heart of it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins to reconcile us to God and rose again from the dead. If we preach from that point, that is the life and death of Jesus Christ and resurrection of Christ many people will see that and be attracted to it and say, yes, I want to add that to my worldview. Right. So mm-hmm. they take just that one part of the Christian worldview and plug it into their worldview, and you have syncretism. And yeah, I go even farther. I don't just say it's one of the great great enemies of, the, of, of a missionary. It's the single greatest enemy of the missionary. The religion of Islam is not really my enemy or Buddhism or animism. What I really don't want is somebody to mix two worldviews that really ought not be mixed, that cannot be mixed, because we haven't properly uh, proclaimed the gospel. Yes, and I see that here and with
2: a lot of friends. They will go to church on Sunday, and then Sunday night they have an offering for Pele out there or an offering on the ocean for Lono or one of the other gods out there. Or I'll run into, especially those in the Japanese Culture who say yes, I'm a Buddhist Christian, or run to others in the in the Chinese culture, uh, who worship Christ on Sunday. But when they get sick, they're at the Buddhist temple, you know, seeking healing and things. So you know, how do we train Christians to
1: identify and correct syncretism in their life? I believe, and I know it sounds like I just have uh, I'm hammering the same thing over and over, right? But I believe with all my heart from my time here in Hawaii, when i where I grew up, and also. The thirty, almost thirty years in Cambodia, working among animists there, that the only solution to syncretism is robust, clear creation-to-Christ story. You you see, the problem with the reason people are syncretistic is that God is not famous enough in their hearts. God, Mm. they see God as one of many ways, one of many beings. For example which means God is not famous and satisfied, completely satisfying, all powerful in their mind and in their heart. Uh, And the reason for that is that uh, we haven't taught them the gospel from creation to Christ. Uh, And so because of that, they look for other powers to compensate or to add to the power of, of Jesus Christ, for example. And you're right, It's syncretism is huge all over the world. And so, and often the missionaries will last to know that the mm-hmm, person that yeah. he's been discipling for 10 years actually has an amulet or an idol buried in his backyard just in case. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. that's very sad. And when you find out that that's the case, it's, it's, it makes you realize that, that uh, you've made a mistake in the presentation of who God really is. Yeah,
2: so it's absolutely critical that they get grounded in the right worldview right from the beginning, uh, which you state. But now, not only syncretism, but you state that one of the greatest threats to the church is false teachings. Jesus and the apostles warned us that false teachers would arise and when you read the epistles, Peter talks about them sharing in the love feasts and that there will be false teachers that arise amongst you and lead many astray and so these false teachers actually arise. many will arise from the body of christ and be a great threat to the body of christ so what are some of these tests that help you identify false teachings
1: yeah you're exactly right that it can come from without it can come from within john uh, the apostle john who is called the apostle of love rightly so wrote this little letter called First John and then another smaller one called Second John and then Third John. These are letters written to uh, one or some of the churches that uh, he felt like you know he had a, a part in planting. Uh, and the reason he says he wrote First John is that, and this is shocking, Pat, mm-hmm. he says that there were Antichrist teachers in their midst so, some, I mean, we use, usually use the word antichrist for the final antichrist, who is very beast-like and uh, terrifying. And, but both Paul and John made it clear that there are lesser antichrists or antichrist-type teaching. The, the word anti can either mean opposed to, which is what we usually think, but it can also mean in place of. Uh, And so that's what we have, these counterfeit religions and teachings that come up often from within the church. And so, John, it was shocking to me when I first realized what John was saying to his church. He said, these antichrist teachers were in your church. They were your church leaders. And uh, amazing that when you read 1 John, you find out that by an amazing miracle of God, the Christians in his church uh, were able to eventually Expel those false teachers from the church. And I'm sad to say that that's usually the exception. Usually, Christians wait so long, true believers wait Mm -hmm. so long, they want to be nice, or, or the leaders keep lying. They say, yes, we believe in the resurrection, when actually they just, the resurrection of Christ, when actually they just believe that he rose spiritually, but his body was still in the grave. See, they'll lie to you. And so by the time the Christians, the true Christians in the church get around to really doing something to rid the church of this false teaching, it's too late the folks who are following the false teacher are in the majority, they're in the minority. They get kicked out instead and mm-hmm. they're accused of of what? They're accused of uh, hating the unity of yes. the church, right?
2: Yes, being unloving.
1: <laughs> being unloving, when actually disunity comes mainly from false teaching and false teachers. Yes, so we see already in
2: that first century, already in that second generation church, already the false teachers had arisen, gained a foothold and were threatening the
1: church. Exactly, because anytime, well, let's put it this way. We have counterfeit $100 bills. We have them in Cambodia. Uh, I received one once, (laughs) (laughs) much to my dismay. I didn't realize what it was. But the only reason people counterfeit $100 bills is that they're valuable. Satan is the master counterfeiter. Uh, He counterfeits uh, all kinds of things that are good. And the gospel is the most valuable thing in the world and satan knows this he hates the gospel and so he constantly provides counterfeits it leads his his people in the world to create counterfeits counterfeit christ's counterfeit doctrine counterfeit christians mm-hmm. and like you said it was from the very beginning
2: yeah and there in cambodia a lot you know one of the exciting things about asia and why i'm just thrilled about being there all the time is that a lot of the churches and christians there are first generation christians that's right and just as in the early church, in that first generation already, you had that threat, here in a lot of these first generation churches where the gospel is spreading rapidly,
1: here come the false teachers. Immediately. Yeah. False teachers prey on new Christians. Uh, in fact, I've had people ask me, why are there so many of these these uh, cults and false Christs that have come into Cambodia. My Cambodian friends ask me this, and the answer is, wherever the gospel is growing at an incredible rate, such as Southeast Asia, Korea, my goodness, uh, over the past hundred years, the gospel has really had an advance there. China, Philippines, uh, Africa, wherever the gospel is having tremendous success, there'll be new Christians. And cults prey on new Christians who are weak and they don't really understand much about the gospel yet. So, yep, 30 years ago, when uh, there weren't that many Christians in Cambodia, we hardly had any uh, false groups there. But now they're legion. (laughs) Yeah,
2: you know, and you got a great book out here called True Religion and Counterfeit Religion. And you begin with a brief commentary on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which... Uh, I think it's really unique and really just outstanding way to talk about the kingdom of the cults. Now, one of the things you talk about here in this book, which we are going to offer on our website here at Evidence and Answers, true religion and counterfeit religion, but one of the things you talk about is worldly evil and antichrist evil that threaten the church. And, and what do you mean by those two? What, what's the difference between those two?
1: Yeah, John coined those words. Uh, He he said very clearly in chapter two of uh, this little letter, uh, he said that there's such a thing as worldliness, and he talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride, the pride of life that makes us uh, feel superior because we have a nicer car, a nicer house, and it's just, this kind of worldliness has destroyed so many people, and it can destroy us, Pat, if we're not careful ourselves but there's another kind of evil that John immediately talks about in the next few verses and that is uh, what he calls antichrist evil and antichrist evil seems to me to be more of an intellectual kind of evil uh, appeals to the mind rather than uh, just to those base desires of our flesh and our body if that makes sense because there are people who want a system of thought that appeals to them intellectually and so Satan has provided lots of different kinds of Antichrist evil from the very beginning. And Antichrist, once again, meaning instead of Christ. So you, you've taught on Gnosticism here. That was really the first great Christian heresy where the most popular worldly philosophy of the day entered into the church and got mixed up with the church. Does that sound familiar, yeah. by yeah. the way? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's exactly oh, no. what's happening now. The next one was Arianism, where a pastor named Arius said, oh, I don't think Jesus is God. He's a totally created being, uh, like the modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses say. Well, his teaching called Arianism almost took over the church, as you know. And uh, it's been around for years, years and years. And all the way to the present day where we, in the 1800s, we had uh, naturalism and evolutionism and communism, Marxism come up. And many people were attracted to these movements because they were intellectually stimulating. It gave them something worth living for and worth dying for. It wasn't just like worldly evil where all you thought about was what fun thing you're going to do tonight, what bad thing you were going to do tonight, but something that was really worth giving my entire life for. Do you see how it's anti-Christ? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we're supposed to give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. You know, and
2: I think one of the things, valuable things about this book is that you give us guidelines on how to identify or distinguish between true and false teachings. And John gives us some of those guidelines. So what are some of those guidelines that we can distinguish between true
1: teachers or true teachings and false teachings? But John is brilliant in this little letter of 1 John. He's absolutely brilliant. The letter of 1 John Even though it's only 105 verses, it provides, get this, this is just unbelievable, provides over 60 diagnostic statements in 105 verses that teach us how to diagnose. Now, diagnosis is like a medical term, right? I, I went to my uh, dermatologist and said, I think this is cancerous. And he looked at it, he says, no, if, and he uses the word if, right? If it's cancerous, it'll look like this. And then he looks at another spot and he says, oh, like this right here. <laughs> and uh, and he tells me, if it's cancerous, it'll have this uh, this appearance and these features. But John does the same thing in the book of First John. And that's why in the book of First John, uh, the word if is used at a higher frequency than uh, any other book in the New Testament because he's making one diagnostic statement after another. Also words like this, listen to how diagnostic these phrases are. He says, whoever says, and then he tells us, whoever says uh, this, this false statement is a false teacher. He uses words like, by this we know, or this is how we know. He says things like, no one who does this is from the Lord. And I'm so thankful for this because God loves us so much. And John, the apostle of love, loved his people in those churches there. And God wants us to become really good at diagnosing false worldviews and uh, the difference between false worldviews and the true worldview and a false Christs and the true Christ. And it takes time. We have to read, uh, say, the book of First John over and over, the book of Second Peter over and over, the book of Jude over and over. These are books that I'm sure you've put tremendous emphasis on uh, in your ministry and in your broadcast, your uh, program. He also brilliantly distilled everything that Jesus said and did during the three and a half years that he was with him. He distilled into two theological statements that are just brilliant. One is God is light. Light means morally holy. Light also means truthful. In the Bible, light has those connotations. But he also says in First John chapter four, God is love. And rather than those being competing attributes of God, they we accept them both. And so, if God is light, then teachers who are who come from God will be holy. Will live a holy life. And they will teach what's true according to what the apostles reveal to us in the Bible and and also what their Lord Jesus Christ revealed to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not only that, because God is love, a teacher who comes from God will also love God and love others. And you and I know that many cult leaders have treated their people despicably, Mm -hmm. uh, just used them for their own purposes, and have become billionaires in the process, uh, have forced... uh, their followers to quit their jobs and to, to sell things along the, along the highway back in the 70s and 80s. Other cult leaders have treated women despicably. There's a famous cult whose founder for a period of time was marrying a new wife every three weeks. Yeah, I don't think that is normal behavior mm-hmm. and that is using women for his own purposes. So a true teacher who comes from God, loves God, and loves others. So what John does is he takes these four points of be holy because God is light, teach truth because God is light, love God because God is love, love one another because God is love, and he weaves them all together. And Pat, you know that 1 John is very difficult to analyze. You can't tell any kind of outline in it. It almost seems haphazard and scrambled, but what John is doing is he's making it so that we can never separate those ideas that God is light and God is love, because that's where false teaching comes from, when we pick and choose, like at a buffet, what mm-hmm. we want God to be like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Instead of letting God say to us, this is what I'm like, and you must believe this, because it brings freedom and joy and happiness. Yes, you know, I think one of the things
2: John tells us, along with Second Peter and Jude, false teaching and false living go together where you find false teaching there's false living and as you pointed out you'll see it in the leaders but then you'll see it in the followers as well that's right as Jude and Peter talked about they're leading people into immorality and things and that's what we're seeing and we have the American cults in Cambodia, you're saying, that Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, and and how are they
1: making inroads there into Cambodia? Usually by spending a lot of money and creating really a rice cultist, I guess you could say. You've heard of the expression rice Christians, uh, people who (laughs) are lured to become Christians Mm -hmm. uh, through uh, gifts. The Jehovah's Witnesses, don't seem to have much traction yet in uh, in Cambodia. Mormons have a lot of traction because they came into Cambodia getting permission from the very highest levels of the ministry of religion. Uh, they have their large temples here and there. Mm-hmm. And their teaching is extremely attractive because uh, one, they have an emphasis on the family, which is ironic considering their past. But two, actually there are works religion, and so is Buddhism. Buddhism is a religion of merit and works. And so, because of that, the message of uh, Mormons is actually fairly acceptable to the average Buddhist. And so mm. they'll listen to it. And so, they're, when they become a Mormon, they're really trading one works religion for another works religion. Wow. Yeah, the resources
2: of the Mormon church are tremendous. They, they'd easily be a Fortune 500 company. And, you know, I see them in many countries around the world, and it's very enticing because they'll also take care of you financially, as well as very attractive as John writes, you know, they appeal to our
1: worldly side. It's one of the things you mentioned in the book. That's right, yeah, yeah. And yet those two, what we would call older false groups uh, are not anywhere near as successful these days as the newer cults that are coming mostly from Asia.
0: That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. You'll find we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. So if you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org.